The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. been sitting here ready to record i hit record i know that what i'm doing here is the intro to the show and typically i just say hello and welcome to another episode of just another fanboy my name is steven and i i tend to feel that that gets a little old every single day five days a week that gets a little old so i try to mix it up every once in a while and i end up saying stuff like welcome 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 or Howdy, folks, or what up? And they all just seem to fall flat. So the promise I'm going to make you here on this episode is that I'm not going to do an intro at all. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to skip it. We're going to skip the intro. We're going to forget that there was an intro even made. I'm just, we're not going to do it. And that'll save us some time in the end, I think. I think it'll be a shorter, tighter episode because we're not going to have to worry about that intro. We're not going to have to worry about me trying to mix it up, trying to be a little entertaining, trying trying to have some fun with it and maybe make you smile. I'm not going to try that on this day of podcasting. We're going to skip it and we're going to get right into the to the comic book that I'm going to talk about. So, yeah, just skipping it all together. Wasn't that wasn't that great? Bam, here comes the comic. You ready? X-Force number one from June of 1991. So it's got art by Rob Liefeld, written by Fabian Nachiza, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, colors by Brad Van Catta, and the, the editor on this is Bob Harris. And your, uh, your, your main editor, your editor-in-chief is Tom DeFalco. But that's not how it's listed in the book. If you're looking at the book itself and you're looking at the credits, it actually, the way it reads is, Rob Liefeld, everything but, and then it gives your writer, your colorist, your letterer, and which I find a little silly. We'll get to the editors here in a second, but I find that a little silly because it's like Rob Liefeld is doing everything but all this other stuff. So basically, he's just penciling and inking. They could have just said that, but it's no. Rob Liefeld's doing everything. Everything on this book is all about Rob Liefeld except for the, the, the writing and the, the colors and, and the letters. But everything else was done by Rob Liefeld. They were really, you have to understand, we'll talk about this more a little bit later, you have to understand that at this point in Rob Liefeld's career, he was a freaking superstar. He hadn't been on the Spike Lee Levi's 501 Blues jeans commercial. Yes, he did that. We'll talk about that maybe in a minute too. But he was, if not at the peak of his career, he was almost there at this point. He was a superstar. He was doing New Mutants. He had come on to New Mutants, and that's where he really made his name. And then they gave him this book. He created many of the characters, from what I understand. But this was his book. He didn't write it, though. But they were selling it 
on the fact that Rob Liefeld was on the book, which is why I'm assuming in the in the the credits it says Rob Liefeld everything but all the other stuff. So what started off this little tangent was I was going to explain how it listed our editor and our editor in chief. It lists them as Bob Harris, Baggy Eyes, and Tom DeFalco, Baggy Boss. <laughs> Anyway, so let's get let me let's talk about the story. I mean, you can't have a discussion about a book by Rob Liefeld back when he was nearing the peak of his career without talking about the art. You really can't do that. And we're going to talk about the art. We're going to talk about Rob Liefeld and we're going to talk about the time that this book came out. But let's talk about the story first. So this is a collection of mutant heroes X-Force made up of Cable which was a creation of Rob Liefeld. Domino, who I think he also created. Cannonball, Warpath, Feral, Boom Boom, and Shatterstar. Now, among the rest of those, Cable, Warpath, and Boom Boom, I believe all came before Rob Liefeld. I don't know if... I know he didn't create Cannonball. Warpath is the brother of the original Warpath. Boom Boom, I remember being part of his New Mutants but I don't know if he created Boom Boom or not. Farrell looks very much like a Rob Liefeld creation. She is a, uh, you can kind of infer what kind of character we're talking about. But basically think of Tigra from the West Coast Avengers, but stick her hair all up and make her all, you know, ooh, I'm gonna, ooh, kitty wants to kill. Ooh. That's who Farrell is. Um, and then Shatterstar, Shatterstar, I believe, is also a Rob Liefeld creation. And he is... Uh, I believe he's from the same dimension that Longshot is from. Not, not really sure. Didn't really do a lot of homework on this one. Now, they're going up against the Mutant Liberation Front, or the MLF. And that's made up of Strife, their leader. There's a dude in there called Forearm, which is, a strong, which is their strong man. He's their strong guy. And uh, he doesn't wear a shirt, and he literally has four arms. Now, it's not spelled F-O-U-R arm. It's F-O-R-E forearm, but he's got four arms. You've also got Kamikaze, who really doesn't do anything at all in the book other than pose at one point. You've got Wildside, who is basically a Wolverine-type character. You've got Reaper, who looks like a male version of Domino, and he carries a scythe. Thumbelina, who doesn't see any action in this, but she's a big girl. And then Zero, their teleporter. So the book opens up with X-Force busting into the headquarters of the Mutant Liberation Front. Cable really wants to take him down. He wants to take him down. He wants to take down Strife. And there's a battle and action happens and uh, Strife gets away. He sets a um, self-destruct button and Zero teleports him out. Once Cable realizes what happens, he teleports him and his team out and they take off. And then the base blows up. We go back to where the X-Force hang their hats and Cable is working on their, their, their shuttlecraft, their ship, their flying machine. Cannonball's talking to him for a bit and then Cannonball leaves because uh, there's a meeting of some sort. He's got to go hang with the others. Domino comes down to talk to uh, Cable and Cable starts moving the tools around with his mind, which... I don't know if we saw that out of Cable before this point. I don't know if we understood that this was a power of his. 
I feel like that's something that they just, they just, uh, they just revealed with this issue. And Domino's like, what, what are you doing? You, you can't let these people see that you're doing that. And he's, well, nobody's around. Don't worry. Don't worry, darling. He doesn't, he doesn't talk like that at all. But he's, you know, don't worry. Nobody's around. I'm careful. And they don't explain why he's hiding his powers from them. But apparently he is. And uh, he explains that he's very upset. I think when he's talking to Cannonball, I just read this last night. And, I, and it's already, the story is already falling out of my brain. Which probably says something about the story itself. But I feel like he is telling, I think it's Cannonball before Domino comes in. He's, ex- he's explaining who Strife is. And he used to hang out with Cable. Or, or this dude, there's this other dude that used to hang out with Cable. And Strife killed him. I can't remember. I, I, I honestly can't remember. I think maybe the other guy joined the Mutant Liberation Front and died or something. But anyway, somebody close to Cable died. It was Strife's fault. And that's why Cable wants to take him down. Strife is just a big dude in armor uh, that's all pointy. And he has uh, a big red cape. We don't know if he can do anything. He's covered head to toe in shiny silver armor that's all pointy. Now, beyond that, beyond the little story we have going on with the X-Force, there's a side story featuring Sunspot, who was part of the New Mutants. He's now hanging out with some dude named Gideon. Very mysterious. He's like, he's got a top knot, and yet he's like bald with this giant, like three foot long top knot ponytail. But he's also got hair that fans out around the back of his head. And he's got a golden arm, a golden robot arm. And when we first see him, he and, uh, and Sunspot are training. Roberto, I think his name is. Roberto da Costa, that might be his name. Again, a lot of the story is, is, while I can remember some of the bits, a lot of the specifics just didn't cling to the old brain. But they're training for something. Maybe they're just having a workout. And then they, they need to take off because they're going to a meeting which they refer to as the Jankos stock buyout. So they get in their suits and their ties and they go to this corporate boardroom where this woman comes in and she's like, hey, I'm a blah, blah, blah. Her last name is Jankos. And I want you to meet my partner. It's Black Tom, who is Cassidy's brother. Cassidy is, um, Cassidy, what's his, what, um, geez. Uh, Banshee, that, remember Banshee from X-Men? This is his brother. And he's a bad guy, and he tells them all the. Uh, I'm not even going to try an Irish accent, but he basically takes them all hostage. And you're like, "What? That's how you're supposed to react." I'm taking you all hostage, and Gideon is looking at him with a shocked face, and you're supposed to go, "What? He's taking Gideon, who we've just met, as hostage? What? I mean, yeah, we we know who." Uh, Sunspot is. If you've never read the book, if you were just coming into X Force number one blind, you'd have no idea who Sunspot was. They really don't explain it too much. And then beyond that, there's a third storyline where Shield is investigating the explosion of the Mutant Liberation Front headquarters, and it's headed up by a Shield agent by the name of G W Bridge. And they've—I don't believe they've ever said it, but you know that has to stand for George Washington. George Washington Bridge, that's his name. And so GW Bridge and his team, they're on the site and they figure out that it was Cable who, who was there. Cable was there. And so he makes a call 
to Nick Fury and he's giving him an update. And Nick Fury says what I think is probably one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard Nick Fury ever ever say, ever. He basically says, give me AIM. AIM is, if you're not aware, they are a militant, technologically advanced army of dudes that always try to take over the world. Uh, Give me AIM any day of the week, something like that. Dealing with Hydra is like a kiss from my grandma. Hydra, also another militant, technologically advanced army of bad guys trying to take over the world. So give me AIM. Dealing with Hydra is like a kiss on the cheek by my grandma, but not Cable. I can't deal with Cable. So he'd rather deal with two different technologically advanced super armies than this one guy, Cable. So that what they're, they're trying to make you feel like, holy crap, what's up with this Cable guy? If Nick Fury would rather go toe-to-toe with two armies than this one dude, he must be a B.A. And I just, I, I didn't get that at all. I found it ridiculous. Now, keep in mind, I read this as a, as, as, when it came out. In 91, I would have been 17. And maybe as a 17-year-old, I read that and went, whoa. Cable must be a B.A. But reading it now, I just went, that's ridiculous, Nick Fury. You're, that's, that's what we call hyperbole. You are delving into the realms of hyperbole. You are throwing out some major hyperbolization about this one man. No way in your best day would you prefer, you know, hey, uh, we have AIM and HYDRA over here trying to take over the world and then we have cable over here fighting the mutant liberation front over on the other side of the world i'm going to go deal with the other the, the armies uh not because i think it's more important because they're armies and they need to be stopped but because i think i'll have an easier time of it it'll be like a walk in the park i'll go over there and i'll slap them on their wrists and they'll run away crying i'm not going toe to toe with that one man that's craziness that's crazy talk I I just found that ridiculous. And so after his talk with Nick Fury, GW Bridge tells one of his little S.H.I.E.L.D. minions to get the Canadian government on the phone because it's time to call in Weapon X. And that's how it ends. Weapon X, which was supposed to be Wolverine, but I don't think it's Wolverine in the book. I can't remember who it is. And having read... Uh, or, or heard some rumors recently, I don't think it's supposed to be Weapon X. I feel like Rob Liefeld has come out at some point and say, no, it's Weapon 10. So I don't know, but I'm assuming it's Deadpool because he makes up, he makes a, a an appearance at some point because Rob Liefeld did create Deadpool. But I have the Epic Collection, the X-Force Epic Collection, so I am going to keep reading. So let's talk about the art for a moment because I did enjoy the art. Now, I look at it now with my old man eyes, and I, I, I enjoy it only for nostalgic purposes because I look at it now and I'm just, you know, this stuff is ridiculous, and the poses are terrible, and Cable has these giant shoulder pads on for no apparent reason. Everybody has, now the pouches, everybody makes fun of Rob Liefeld for his pouches, and yes, most everybody in his books have just, they just have way too many pouches. There's just no reason for somebody 
to have so many pouches on their costume. But what I think is more ridiculous than the pouches are the, are the, the leg bands that he, wear, he, he makes people wear. Practically every person in his comic has no less than one leg belt. And on that leg belt usually are pouches. But Cable's got these giant shoulder pads, like six or seven leg belts with pouches all over them. He, depending on which panel you're looking at, will determine which gun he might be holding. In one panel, he's holding a, a long bazooka-shaped gun. And then in the next panel, it's more of a wafer-thin, uh, vertically flat rifle of some sort. So I don't know if they've ever explained that he has like maybe like Hermione's bag from Harry Potter that can just hold anything in it. You know, basically a, a, a TARDIS that one of his belts, maybe one of the pouches on his belts is like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside and he can just constantly pull out all these different guns. GW Bridge also had freaking belts around his legs and pouches. And he had this crazy communications rig set up around his head. Shatterstar has this padding around his face that I don't quite understand. Warpath, his costume is, is, is pretty much the same costume as the original Warpath. And he's got this fringe around his, his, uh, his calves and his shoulders. And the, it's all, the fringe is always in motion. Even if he's standing still, it's always just sticking up. Now, there were one or two panels where he's standing still and the fringe is, is at rest. But many panels, he's just standing there and the fringe is just sticking straight out as if he's running headlong into something or the wind is blowing at him from all directions. But what you have to understand about Rob Liefeld from this time period, and I'm only going to give you my personal experience with Rob Liefeld because when I came across his artwork, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like nothing I had ever seen before. It was very dynamic and kinetic compared to a lot of the other stuff that was out there. Most everything that you were reading had very similar style. Marvel had a quote-unquote house style, and there were certain artists that would somewhat stray from the house style. John Byrne, was had a very he was very much the house style but you could you could pick out John Byrne's artwork. You had guys like Bill Senkevich which for some reason I didn't I would I had read his New Mutants but his artwork never it's weird cuz I look at it now and I'm like why didn't I freak out about this artwork? Why wasn't I like oh my god look how crazy this artwork is. This is like nothing I've ever, ever seen before. His artwork did not affect me at all that I recall in those New Mutant books. I don't really remember paying all that much attention to artists until guys like Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, and Jim Lee started making a name for themselves. And I remember just looking at Rob Liefeld's art and going, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing I have ever seen. I was so in love, just like everybody else at the time. I was so in love with his art. And it's because it was so different. You know, I look at I look at these old books nowadays because I'm reading a lot of these old books from 86 and 87 up through 90 and 91. And I'm looking at the Avengers by uh, John Buscema and Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer. Is that his name? Isn't that guy a golfer? Anyway, 
I'm looking at that art now, and I remember liking it back then, but I'm looking at it now and I'm, I'm thinking this art is, it's just, it's excellent. This is excellence. The, he, there are some very dynamic panels, but there are also panels of just the hero standing around talking that just feel so natural. But yet Rob Liefeld's art, everybody was posing and gritting their teeth and flexing their muscles. And they're, they, they stood either just with uh, just broad, straight. Like in some panels, people would be standing with uh, their legs just so pressed closely together in such a rigid pose. It was either that or they were standing with their legs spread wide open and their arms out to either side. Or they were running in with w- whenever people ran, their arms were out to their sides and their, their teeth were gritted and their mouths were open. And I just ate that with a freaking spoon back then. I look at it now and I think to myself, if he had just come out today and started writing books, I probably wouldn't enjoy it at all. I think the only reason why I can read X-Force now and go, this is, this is a lot of fun is because I'm looking at it through my nostalgia glasses. Because there, were, there was one moment I'm looking at Cable and he's, he's standing there. He's telling his story. I'll try to find the, the panel and put it out on Instagram. But he's telling his story about the guy that he used to hang with that ended up dying and it was all Strife's fault. And there's a panel where he's standing there with his gun and I, I'm assuming he's supposed to be crouched. He's supposed to be in a battle position. But it looks like he's sitting on nothing. He's just sitting in midair. But one of his legs is bent and turned in such a fashion that you would think it was broken. It was just the weirdest thing. But as, man, I tell you what, I just ate that stuff up when it came out. And, he, and here, here's the thing. You ask anybody today, you go on Twitter and you find anybody who gives Rob Liefeld crap, the one thing that they will give him crap about is they, will, they'll, they tell him all the time on Twitter that he is afraid to draw feet, that he cannot draw feet, that he is afraid to draw them. And that's because he has, there are a number of covers by him in which he has posed a, a, a hero or a group of heroes in such a fashion that you can't see their feet. And there's even, there's even covers out there where there's, the ground is, is almost uh, like a bubble and they're standing behind the bubble so you can't see their feet. And so it's just become this thing that Rob Liefeld hates feet. Well, the one thing that struck me funny reading this book was there are feet all over the dang place, all over. There were many feet. He, he, the man can draw feet. He may not draw them well, but he's not afraid to draw feet. I think there just comes a point in people's artistic careers where they pick a certain way to draw covers, and it doesn't always allow the use of feet. I don't know. I just always found that a silly complaint. But X-Force number one, June 1991, it shows um, online, it shows a publishing date of August of 91, but a release date of June 91. I would have been 17 years old. I would have bought this off the stands at the comic book store. It was an amazing book back then. I remember it being an amazing run. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of the issues. The, the, the first issue felt silly to me, looked silly to me, but the kid in me just, just loved reading it again. And, I'm, and I may talk about other 
issues in this epic collection. I haven't quite decided yet. If I run across another issue that I feel like I need to talk about, I'll talk about it. But I've been really, I've been slowly trying to get a lot of these books at least read from that era. So I've got, now I've got the epic collection and there's this, there's a, a certain series in, uh, in the Uncanny X-Men, Jim Lee was on the Uncanny X-Men before they gave him his own book because they did that with all three of those guys. Todd McFarlane got his own book called Spider-Man. Rob Liefeld got his own book called X-Force. And then Jim Lee got his own book called X-Men. Now, Todd McFarlane both wrote and drew his, his book, but Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee each had writers. So I think Chris Claremont wrote X-Men with Jim Lee. But then eventually the, the three of them, among others, felt like they were not getting paid what their superstardom deserved. And, and that may have been true. I, I don't know. But they went to Marvel and they said, look, we're the reason you guys are selling so many books. There were books being sold by the millions, maybe hundreds of thousands. I don't know. There were a crap ton of books being sold at the time. And, and it was mainly because of these guys. And they said, we want to raise. And Marvel, basically, the way I understand it, said no. And so they said, all right, well, we're going to take our ball and go home. And they formed Image, which is still around today. It's not the same company it was back then, but that's, that's pretty neat. And then eventually, at one point, after X-Force 1 came out, Rob Liefeld did a 50, uh, Levi's 501 Blues Buttonfly commercial. There's a, he, he just talked about it online not that long ago. And I remember seeing the commercial because there's at one point in the commercial where you hear Spike Lee because he did a series of these commercials. And you just hear him go, you created X-Force? And I always thought that was funny. I'm sure you could find the commercial out there. Maybe if I can find the link to it, I'll put it in the show notes or something. But that's the episode. That's the issue. Nostalgia, folks. Nostalgia can do funny things to you. It can do funny things to your brain. I'm out. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.